Well, you guys are kind, in spite of the fact that I worked at that other school. I know. I appreciate that. And uh, yes, I've been on staff with crew, as Chad said, for 51 years. And you're looking saying, no way, the dude looks 38. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, but I do uh, love uh, spending time with the college students. That's why I'm still doing it at age 72, uh, because I want to be with students. I want to dive right into my topic tonight, because he gave me such a good intro. You know who I am and where I am. I live in Indianapolis. He might have said that. Um, I want to share a note with you that uh, my oldest son wrote to me uh, when we were at Miami, and I was going through a time of discouragement <clears throat> uh, over different things, just felt like throwing in the towel and giving up. And my son, who was 14 at the time, was 47 now, and that's, that's him. Um, so it was 34 years ago. I have the original note that he wrote to me 34 years ago. Uh, and here's what he said. Hi, Dad. I know you're feeling depressed right now, and I know how you feel. But I think the devil's just telling you lies. He's trying to deceive you into thinking you've got too much to do in your office. It's impossible to get done. All the things that need to be done. So, Dad, draw your sword and smash his puny butt into hell where he belongs. That's my boy. He says, uh, here's a verse I think is helpful. Matthew 4, 1 to 11. I know this sounds dumb coming from a 14-year-old when you know all about this. I'll be praying for you, Dad. I love you, Nate. So that's my oldest son. And uh, he didn't know it, but what he was doing through this little note that he wrote for me was giving me perspective. He was giving me perspective that I needed at that point in my life when I was discouraged and felt like quitting. Any of you ever go through times in your Christian walk where you feel like thrown into towel? Things aren't going well, you're not doing well, you get discouraged about your own walk or about things that are happening, or maybe some things are going on, you don't understand, Lord, why are you allowing this? It's all a matter of perspective. So the perspective I want to talk about tonight with you is eternal perspective. Because this perspective was probably the most influential truth that I internalized while I was a college student at Penn State. Uh, I grew up uh, in the church, Christian background. I came to Christ some before my senior in high school. But I had never heard any of the things I'm going to teach you tonight. Never heard of it. I never heard of the idea that Christ was coming back again. I had no idea what heaven was like. I wasn't excited about heaven because, you know, when you think about heaven, what do you usually think about? Floating on a cloud, playing a harp, right? Nothing against harps. Harps are cool. I'm sure they're cool. But it wasn't really exciting to think that I'm in this uh, ethereal spirit body floating around somewhere playing a harp. So I didn't have any perspective on eternity. Uh, I wasn't looking forward to heaven, and I knew nothing about the return of Christ. So in college, we began to be taught uh, this truth over and over again. And it turned my world upside down. Uh, there's an author um, named Larry Crabb, who most of you don't know about, previous generation. Uh, he wrote many books, but in his book Inside Out, he talks about the two deepest longings of the human heart. And he puts it in terms of security and significance. Different authors talk about it in different ways. John Eldridge of Wild Heart fame 
talks about intimacy and adventure, right? Well, Larry Crabb talked about security and significance. And when I first heard this, it really made sense to me uh, why these are my two deepest longings. In fact, I would suggest um, if you look at any of the behaviors in your life, you can trace them back to, I'm doing this because I'm trying to get, either get my need for security met or my need for significance. Security in that I want to be in relationship. I want relational security. Maybe it's financial security. I want to belong. I want to be taken care of. I want to know that things are going to be okay. Or significance meaning I want to know that my life matters, that I have value, that I will make a difference. And nobody wants to be a nobody. We all want to know that my life matters in some way. Well, I certainly did. I got into college at Penn State. Chad mentioned it. Uh, I was in a fraternity. Uh, I was in a marching band for two years. Then I joined the cheerleading squad. Now, that had some perks. I got to go to three bowl games, two orange bowls and a cotton bowl. And that was fun. Um, I got hugs and kisses after every touchdown, so that was fun. Um, <laughs> so there were some perks to being in those things. But when I look back on it, what I began to realize is I began to internalize eternal perspective. What I began to realize is that why was I doing all these activities? And why do most college students throw themselves in probably more activities than they really have time for? Well, because they're longing for a sense of significance. I want to be a part of this club or this activity because I'll feel important. Uh, it's a status symbol if I'm maybe president of this organization or something. Now, we do some of the things we do just because they're fun. You know, we're in intramurals because they're fun, right? But often the things we do, uh, we're driven to them because we're desperately longing to know that my life matters. And I want to be a part of something significant. It didn't take me too long as I was beginning to learn this truth to realize, you know what? Uh, being a cheerleader really isn't all that significant. I mean, think about it. Who lays in bed at night thinking how cool the cheerleaders are? Does anybody do that? Not really. I can't imagine. Do you do that? You raise your hand. Do you do? Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I won't point out who that was. But anyway, uh, I think I was deceived into thinking maybe I'd be someone cool on campus if I walked around with my cheerleading outfit on. And after a while, I realized nobody gave a rip. Nobody cared about who I was. And that didn't really work. So when I began to understand eternal perspective, I realized this was God's answer to how do I feel significant, to know that my life is going to matter in eternity. Now, a lot of things have happened along the way uh, to cement this understanding of how important eternity is, one of which is the loss of my son. This is my son, Brett, uh, who I have a picture of. And he was a senior at Indiana University when his Army National Guard unit was called up to Afghanistan. And he went, and in the eighth month of his deployment, uh, his vehicle went over a landmine, and he was killed there. And uh, I have two sons, two daughters. They're all each unique and delightful. And Brett was a really special guy. And he loved Jesus. He joined a fraternity to have a ministry. He was leading the house Bible study. And he and I had a very special relationship. We did... We played so many different sports together, we made up some. He just was a fun, fun guy. Um, so when we lost him, it threw my wife and I into the most painful, difficult years of our lives. 
standing beside his coffin was the most agonizing, horrifying time of my life as I looked at my lifeless son in that casket. And there were different things that the Lord used to get me through that time, but one of which was eternal perspective, knowing that indeed I will see him again. I will see him again. Because here's the deal. Your view of eternity, I think I skipped ahead on you on a slide, bro. Your view of eternity will determine the quality of your life in time. You hear that? How you view eternity will, will determine the quality of your life in time. Obviously, you've interacted with folks on campus who are not believers. Some who would say, we're nothing but a pure set of molecules and brain synapses going off in the brain, right? And all we are is that, and when we die, there's nothingness. We're going to rot in a box. And if that's your worldview as a non-believer, as a philosophical naturalist, then that's the end result. Your view of eternity is there nothing after I die. And so obviously, if you hold a Christian worldview, you have a different perspective altogether. That there is something after death, something incredible, and we will see each other again. I want to show you a short video of my son. Uh, some of you have seen this. He was a special guy. It's only 15 seconds. I'll tell you what it is. He was at the Winter Conference that we have in Indianapolis every year. And in 2004, he was there up in his room just having fun with a bunch of his best, best bros. And they made this little video. So check out my son Brett here. Okay. Christmas conference, 2003, going into 2004. We're in room 1231. Noel, York, Dave, and Hirsch, you're about to see something you've never seen before. Uh! Ready? Any dogs in the house? Any dogs in the house? What? What? Yeah, there you go. I, I told you he was pretty special, didn't I? Ladies, I'm sorry. I didn't warn you. It was four dudes in boxers. I'm just saying, ah, no problem. That's okay. Anyway. You know, knowing I'll see him again in heaven is what got me through that time. Eternal perspective. But eternal perspective does more than that for us. And I'll tell you more about it. Uh, in the Bible, there's, or not in the Bible, there's a theological phrase that is often used, and it's this. It's called, the kingdom is already here and not yet. Have you heard that before? Ever heard that? Yeah. And what it means is that uh, when Jesus came the first time, he ushered in a spiritual kingdom. And he reigns in the hearts of his people as king. We serve him. And his kingdom is here in us and and through us. But it's not here yet fully. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. Uh, and I skipped a whole lot of verses, didn't I? Nathan, I'm sorry, dude. I'm all over the place here. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. Um, it, it's not up, you don't have it, the, the scripture here, but it talks about how we groan in this life. Uh, we groan and how we long to be at home with the Lord. And of course, we groan because of all the the things we experience in this life. And if I had time, I'd let you tell me about what you groan over. But if you think about what, what burdens your heart, I mean, you might say things like, in the world, it's the horrible evil of sex trafficking, or maybe homelessness, or maybe poverty, or maybe war and bombs being dropped on innocent women and children in the Ukraine, 
or perhaps it's the plight of orphans, or perhaps it's on campus. I hope you groan over the reality of women coming home from a party over the weekend, having gotten abused by a guy who took advantage of them. And they come home and they feel terrible, and then they go out and do the same thing next weekend because they're longing to find life and security. Or maybe it's guys you watch friends in the dorm or in your apartment complex come home wasted after a weekend of drinking, and then they go out and do it again the next weekend. And you realize, if they can only know, there's so much more to life than that. And we could go on and on. We groan in this life because the kingdom is not yet here. Now, the passage I totally skipped over, Nathan, if you go back to 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and 8, 18. Here it is. There we go. Look what Paul says. He's giving perspective. He, in the verses prior to this one, he talks about the hardships and suffering he went through as an apostle, the difficulties, the challenges, the persecutions he received. And here's, he says, here's what made it all worth it for him to go through hardship as a Christian. He says, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now you get this? Paul says, the reason I can endure affliction, hardship, discouragement, suffering, is because there's an eternal weight of glory ahead of me that I'm looking forward to. In fact, he says, in light of that, I don't focus on what's going on right now. I focus on eternity. Now, one simple way to illustrate this is if you were to draw out an eternal timeline on a piece of paper, right? Take a big piece of paper, right? If you draw out an eternal timeline, how would you represent your 70 years of life? What would it be? A little dot, right? Your 70 or 80 years here, say it with me, is a little dot in all eternity. There you go. And so Paul says in this verse, he says, I'm not focusing on the, say it with me, the little dot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm focusing on all eternity, right? Now, to be able to do that and to repeatedly do that and not get caught up in all the things right here and right now, you've got to have a, a healthy view of what eternity is like, right? Now, here's the thing. We know, and Nathan, I'm skipping ahead now, <laughs> That at Jesus' first coming, he came as a suffering servant. All right? We know that. He came to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Suffering servant. What so often we don't know, and what I had no clue of when I was in college, was that when Jesus comes back a second time, it's not a suffering servant. He comes back as warrior king. That Jesus comes back to reign in a kingdom on earth. Now, these are things I had no clue of. Let me just, just say a few things about it but I want to focus on one main thing tonight. But just a couple things about the features of the coming kingdom. When Christ comes again, he will reign as the king on earth. Did you know that? Jesus will reign here. Isaiah chapter 2 talks about the universal kingdom of God where Jesus will reign out of Jerusalem as the king. It talks about how he will reign on earth and every knee will bow. You know that, right? We sing songs about that. Every knee will bow to Christ as king. And no longer will we worship overpaid professional athletes or actors or actresses. No longer will we worship corrupt politicians. 
One day, we will worship Jesus only. And He will get all the praise and all the glory. And we'll wake up every morning and we'll talk about Him. Every knee will bow. When Jesus is king on earth and reigns as king, um, we will be in glorified bodies. So heaven is not floating around on a cloud somewhere. You're going to have a glorified body, just like the one Jesus had after the resurrection. Did you know that? People often ask, will we know each other in heaven? And the answer is absolutely. Because you will be in a glorified body. You will be you. In fact, you will be more you than ever before because we will no longer be hindered by sin. Upon the return of Christ, we go to be with Him. We will be made to be just like Him. Now, wouldn't it be great to have a day where you wake up and no longer have to wrestle with the temptations of sin? Do you ever groan over your own sinfulness? Do you ever wake up some days and say, Oh, Lord. Oh, man. Right? Well, one day we'll be free from the curse of sin. And we'll relate to each other. We'll sing and worship with each other. We'll fellowship with each other. Do you know we're going to eat in heaven? You need to know that, right? Did you know that? It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19. You see some of the parables that Jesus talks about in the Gospels. He talks about feasts, that we're going to feast together. People from east and west will come and sit at the table, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to worship. We're going to feast. We're going to celebrate. We're going to party with, with Christ the King. We'll be involved in meaningful work in heaven. We will be reigning with Christ here on the earth. Now, those are just a few tidbits about heaven on earth in a new city called the New Jerusalem. You read that in Revelation chapter 21. You've sung songs about streets of gold. There's a literal city that Jesus is preparing for us now that will come out of heaven and we will dwell with him in this heavenly city. Okay? And walk on streets of gold. Okay, those are just a little bit. Now, the main thing about it, though, I want to focus on is that not only will we reign with Christ, not only will we worship Him and be involved in service with Him, but we will experience the reward of the King. The reward of the King. And I want to look at one specific teaching about this. Again, something I'd never heard about. And I'm betting most of you haven't either. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Let me ask you this question. How many have ever heard any teaching on the judgment seat of Christ? Just a couple of you. Those of you who've been to Ocean City, Summer Mission, okay. <laughs> you should all go back there sometime. Anyway, the judgment seat of Christ, here's what it is. And I heard this first taught at a spring retreat that our speaker spent the whole weekend at a spring retreat talking about the return of Christ and about heaven and about this. Here's what it is. Therefore also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, that is at home in heaven, or absent, that is we're still here. He says, we have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. Now, of course, that, that is our ultimate motive, isn't it? To know that my life is pleasing to the Lord continuously throughout my days. But he says this, why? Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Now, it's very important we understand what this is so we don't get confused, okay? This judgment seat of Christ has, is not talking about salvation, okay? This is not talking about whether or not you're going to heaven. This is talking about 
the fact that you're already in Christ, you already belong to Him, it is a judgment of how we've lived our life since we've become a Christian. Okay? Make sense? This is not the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20, which talks about whether your name's written in the book of life. If you have Jesus, if you've accepted him, your name's already written in the book of life. All right? So let's explore it a little further. He says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 13. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Now, Paul here is talking about when he first went to the, to the city of Corinth in Greece, he's the first one who began to proclaim the gospel. Okay? After him, a guy named Apollos came along, and he watered the seed of the gospel, and people came to Christ. They came to Christ under Paul's ministry and under Apollos' ministry. So he says, when I came to you, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. Let each man be careful how he builds upon it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, here's, get this. The day you put your faith in Christ, a foundation was laid in your life. Okay? It's the foundation of Christ himself. You were born again by the Spirit of God. You have eternal security, eternal life. He's given you the promise of heaven. Your name's written in the book of life. You have this foundation, never to be taken away from you because you have Christ. All of your sins, 100%. We know all this, right? We're paid for by Christ's death on the cross. But we have this foundation, and after coming to Christ, we then make decisions throughout the rest of our life. What am I going to build upon my foundation? Right? What am I going to do now that I have Christ? All right? And look what he says. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. Now, before we skip a slide, notice these two types of building materials, and I put them in different colors, right? The fire of the judgment seat of Christ is going to reveal what kind of building materials. Now, what are these? Well, it seems like the gold, silver, and precious stones Paul is talking about are those decisions and choices we make to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, to live according to God's purposes and His agenda, not my own, to live for His glory, not my own glory, right? It's those times in our life where we are choosing obedience versus disobedience, right? And it seems that the wood, hay, and stubble would be those times where we're walking in the flesh, not the Spirit, where maybe we have had not been obedient. We're not living for His glory. You got me? Now, here's the reality. We're all going to build up some of each, right? We're all going to have some wood, hay, and stubble because we can all think of times in our life where we went through periods where we weren't living in obedience. Am I right about that? Can you all think of times where you weren't living in obedience? You weren't walking in the Spirit? You were kind of going your own way, doing your own thing? We all have. I had. We all do. All right? Now watch what he says here. What reveals the quality of our lives? And that's what he says next. For the day will show it. Each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, upon the foundation remains, he shall receive reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Are we, are we getting this, what we're talking about here? So apparently, we're going to all stand before Jesus one day, and he's going to look at our life, and how we chose to live our life from the time we were born again. And did we build wood, hay, and stubble? 
gold, silver, and precious stone. And again, we're both going to have some of each. Because he says the fire will test the quality of each man's work. The fire will burn up the wood, hay, and stubble. The fire will purify the gold, silver, and precious stones. All right? Now, what's the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ? Again, this passage is not a salvation passage. It is a passage that has to do with rewards. It has to do with Jesus being able to reward us for being faithful. It seems that in other passages that it talks about that the primary criteria at the judgment seat of Christ is faithfulness. Is have I been faithful with my life? Have I taken what God has entrusted to me and have I been faithful in using it? Okay? There's the parable uh, that Jacob referred to. Where'd you go, bro? You were sitting right here. You're up there. Okay. Remember when Jacob referred to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25? Okay. And he talked about hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know if you guys planned it this way, but his testimony was perfect. His 180 story was perfect for what I'm doing tonight. And he said how, bro, you were reminded of that passage, right? When you thought you may be at the end. And he was reminded of this passage, the parable of the talents. Who knows the parable of the talents? To see if you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about here? For those who don't, it's the parable where Jesus said, he gives the parable about the master going away. He says the master is going to go away and he entrusts different amounts of talents to his servants. And he says, but I'll come back and when I do, you'll give an account of how you, what you've done with my talents. And the first two who had five and two talents were faithful. They took the talents and they multiplied them. And he says, the master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. But to the third servant who had one talent and who buried it in the ground because he probably had a faulty view of his master. He didn't trust him. He buried it in the ground, did nothing with it. He is sternly rebuked by the master for being unfaithful with his talents. So this judgment seat of Christ has to do with when I stand before Jesus, will he look at my life and will he be pleased? And will he say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, what's the motivation here? The motivation is, I want to know when I stand before Jesus one day that I've lived my life in such a way that I'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, have there been plenty of times in there where I wasn't walking? Yes. And somehow he'll, apparently that's all forgiven and done away with somehow. I don't fully understand all that. But I do know the positive motivation is to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. All right? Now, I want to suggest again, the primary issue at the judgment seat of Christ is faithfulness. Notice he says, he looks at the quality of each man's work, not the quantity. Each one of us will have a different calling in life. We have different spiritual gifts as we sit here. Different strengths and gifts that God's given us that he has asked us to be faithful with. And as we move forward post, I mean, starting right now here at OU, but post-college, the issue is, am I going to be faithful with what God has entrusted to me? So this may affect how I choose my career. But it has to do with right now, am I being faithful with my time right now while I'm here at OU? Am I being faithful with how I, whether or not I live for Christ? Again, I started out being in the band, being a cheerleader. I wasn't even thinking about the question, am I being faithful? I was just thinking about, well, these things are cool and I'll feel significant and 
if I have the right girlfriend, I'll feel secure. And that's what I wanted out of life. I wasn't even thinking about the issue of, am I being faithful with what God has entrusted to me? Again, the issue is faithfulness. Uh, I want to show you a picture of my lovely wife. Here she is, Roxanne. Um, it's hard to believe this woman is 71 years old and is a grandma of seven. Can you believe that? She is a honey. Mm-mm. Anyway, um, she's my honey, and she loves Jesus, and she has totally different gifts than I do. I do this a lot. I speak all over the place. My wife never is up in front of people, never wants to be up in front of people. She is a gift of helps and service behind the scenes. She's an organizer, runs Christmas conference, right, Casey? Every year at Christmas conference, Chad, uh, runs child care, I mean. And she does all those behind the scenes things, and she's using her gifts and her talents, and she is so faithful. And she's going to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. There was a missionary to North Africa, a guy named Samuel Zwamer. You've probably never heard of him, right? Which is kind of a part of the illustration. You never heard of this guy. You've heard of Billy Graham, perhaps. You've heard of uh, John Piper. You've heard of Matt Chandler, Francis Chan, right? All the big names. You never heard of this guy, Sam, Samuel Zwamer. He went to North Africa to reach Muslim people. He ministered there for 40 years, sowing the seed, plowing up the ground, watering the seed. In 40 years of ministry, he only saw five people come to Christ. Now, some of your staff here may see that many come to Christ in one year. Labored 40 years to see five come to Christ. But he was faithful to his calling. He plowed up the ground, preparing the way for others who would come after him and reap a harvest. Standing before Jesus one day, the issue is simply, have I been faithful to be who God's called me to be? To go where he's called me to go? To use the gifts the way he wants me to use them? So that's why we don't compare ourselves to each other each other's gifts. I need to be faithful with the gifts God's given me. So I don't compare myself on campus. So if somebody here is leading a Bible study in South Green or what are the greens? South Greens and East Green and different greens. You may have a friend who's got a freshman Bible study going. They got 10 people coming out and you're trying to get yours going and hardly anybody's coming. And you think, what the heck is wrong with me? Well, maybe nothing's wrong with you. Maybe the soil is just hard and nobody's responding. But the issue is, am I being faithful to show up? Am I seeking to step out in faith and share my faith, regardless of who responds? Am I seeking to lead a Bible study? Am I seeking to help somebody else grow, regardless of whether or not they grow? The issue is, am I being faithful? Okay, you with me on this? So this is the judgment seat of Christ. It is a pot of positive motivation, not a negative. And it's an issue of receiving rewards from my king one day, who will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, personally, um, when I heard this teaching, I stood in the back of the room of spring retreat, my junior, senior, I forget which one, and I heard the speaker go through this teaching, and as he described this picture of one day standing in front of Jesus and hearing him say, well done, I was so just moved by that. I stood in the back of the room and the tears were pouring down my face and I thought, oh my goodness, if this is true, if this is true, it means that that day, that day is the most important day of my life. When I stand before Jesus and he looks into my eyes, hearing him saying, well done, is the most important day of my life. And that day influences every other day up until that day. And that's exactly what it's done. This truth 
has motivated me, has put restraints on my life when I wanted to go after my own lustful pleasures. It has empowered me knowing that one day I'll stand before Jesus. Now, I want to end with this. I want to share a dream with you that I had. The staff have heard this dream many times. Uh, like you, I've had a lot of dumb dreams in my life. Have you all have dumb dreams in your life? Just <laughs> Uncle Bob and whatever, and crazy dumb dreams. I've had plenty of those. But I had one really good dream, and I'll share that with you. The only one like it. In my dream, uh, my wife and I were upstairs in our house in Miami in, of Ohio, and in my dream, I heard the sound of hoofbeats, like horses pounding up the, pounding up the road. And I, I didn't get a chance because of the shortness of this talk to talk about the picture in Revelation chapter 19 where Jesus comes out of heaven on a white horse with all the armies of heaven, and he comes to establish his kingdom and to defeat all evil, and he does so with a mighty army of white horses. In my dream, I heard the sound of hoofbeats, and I busted downstairs to the front door, and I look out in the cul-de-sac we lived in, and it was filled with white horses and a mighty band of soldiers on these horses. And, of course, at the head of this band of mighty warriors was Jesus the King on his white horse. And in my dream, Jesus got off of his white horse, and he walked up the sidewalk to my front door. And I'm standing there amazed, looking at this band of mighty warriors, and I couldn't believe it. This was Jesus. Jesus at my front door. And Jesus comes over to me, and he looks right into my eyes. And he says, Roger, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he reached over and handed me the, the reins to my white horse, which is something I've been praying about for years, and I could ride on one of those white horses. And I hopped on my horse and I went out to the cul-de-sac. And there I recognized all the faces of all the other mighty warriors. And they're all men I'd either led to Christ or discipled my previous 20 years of ministry. And the dream ended with us riding off together with the king to usher in his kingdom. It actually ended with us giving high fives all to all these warriors together. And we rode off with the king to establish his kingdom. And that's where my dream ended. I woke up my wife, I, I elbowed my wife in bed. I said, honey, you would not believe this dream I just had. Oh my, unbelievable. And I was so excited. Look, one day, every one of us is going to stand in front of Jesus. And he's going to look at our life. And don't you want to know that when he looks into your eyes, that there's a smile on his face of pleasure. And he says, oh, Way to go. Way to go. Good and faithful servant. That's what we have to look forward to. That's eternal perspective. Okay? You know, for some of you who want to follow Christ, you wrestle with maybe mom and dad aren't excited about you following Christ. It may help you to realize, to focus on this day, because you know what? The one you're going to stand before today is not going to be mom and dad. The only one you're going to give an account to for your life is Jesus. He's the ultimate one whose approval you long to have. Okay? I'm going to pray for us. That good? The band's going to come up. Thank you, Jesus, that you saved us.
taken away all of our sin. You set us free to live a, a whole different life. And Lord, I pray that the motivation to someday have you look into our eyes with a, a smile of pleasure on your face and to say, well done, that that truth would motivate us in how we live every day of our life. Holy Spirit, would you take this truth and take it deep into our hearts? Thank you, Lord. I trust you will do that and pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Thanks to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the 180 Podcast, a production of Crew in Southeast Ohio. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like, a share, or leave an encouraging comment, and that will go a long way toward helping others hear about the podcast. The podcast isn't the only thing that we do. Whether you're a student living on campus or if you're still at home studying virtually, we'd encourage you to check us out on social media to hear more about what's going on. You can follow us on Instagram at crew at OU, or to learn more about who we are and what we do, head over to our website, crew at OU.org. We'd encourage you if you visit the site to complete our involvement form to get more connected to all the things that are happening. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next Thursday for another episode of the